0: So if you have your your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. You'll remember over the past three weeks, we've been looking at the long sentence in the original language from verse 3 to verse 14, looking at every spiritual blessing coming and flowing out of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this triune blessing all to the glory of God. Now, today we're going to be looking at verse 15 through verse 19. Now, verse 15 all the way through verse 23 is another long sentence in the original. And and today we're going to be, I guess over the next two weeks, we're going to be breaking that Long sentence into two sermons. So again, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 15. For this reason, in other words, in light of everything he's been saying from verse 3 through verse 14, for this reason, because, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we think about prayer today, we come to you in prayer right now, asking that, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation as we explore this text. We ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, of our hearts, that we could know our hope, our inheritance, that we would know your power. And we can only have this spiritual sight through your Holy Spirit. And so we pray in Jesus' name amen you may remember in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 the the disciples were desiring to pray better and so they went to Jesus and they said Jesus John taught his disciples how to pray he discipled them in prayer and he said you They said, you teach us to pray. And of course, the the answer to that was the Lord's Prayer that we recite weekly here, we pray that weekly. And as we ask the question, how do we pray, the Lord's Prayer is always the the starting place. You think, okay, I want to pray, I'm gonna look at what Jesus gave us as the model and the example of prayer. You could also think of the Psalms. The Psalms is the great prayer book of the church teaching us how to pray. But sometimes we forget how much we have on prayer from the Apostle Paul. And that's what we have in our text today. This is a a prayer guide. This, This teaches us how to pray. And that's something that we need. And in one sense, prayer is one of the, the simplest things you can do. It's just talking to God, telling God what is in your heart. But then you know if you try to dedicate any amount of time and energy to prayer, that prayer is hard. Pr- prayer is difficult. But prayer, especially private prayer, is something that, that really is true of believers, of of true believers, that there's a lot of outward religion that you might practice in hypocrisy if you have not sincerely trusted in Christ. But there's something about private prayer, bringing our needs to the Lord, lifting others up to the Lord, especially in our own private prayers, that is foolish if the things in the Bible aren't true. That if there is know God, then, then why pray? You're better off spending your time in other ways. But yet we know that prayer is so important, so valuable. I was reading something from the, the Puritan um, Flavel, uh, and he was pointing out that, that prayer is one of the great ways that the, the blessings of our life can be sanctified, that they can lead to our, our growth. That he said that if, if God gives us a blessing but we didn't pray for it, often we think it was from ourselves and we become proud. But then when, when we dedicate ourselves to prayer, God answers those prayers. Then we return to God in thanksgiving that it actually humbles us before God, that it actually lets the blessings of God humble us and sanctify us and draw us closer to him. So again, prayer is hard. We need to learn how to pray. And what this prayer passage helps us with is specifically praying for believers, praying for believers in the church. We're going to look at this passage under two headings. So if you're you're taking notes, that we should offer prayers of thanksgiving for believers. Then second, we should offer prayers of intercession for believers. So we should offer prayers of thanksgiving and prayers of intercession. So let's start first with prayers of thanksgiving. We should offer prayers of thanksgiving for believers. So look in your Bible with me at verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Ephesian believers, remembering you in My prayers. Now you'll notice that he's stating it in a negative way. He's saying, I don't cease giving thanks for you. And that's just another way of saying, I always give thanks for you. And I don't think that means that he was literally thanking God for the Ephesian Christians every moment of every day. But he's saying that it was his pattern, it was his habit. When he prayed, which I'm sure he did a lot, he, he never neglected prayers of thanksgiving for the Christians who were at the church in Ephesus. He was constantly giving thanks for them. You say, well, that's impressive in some ways, to always give thanks for believers in a particular church. But turn to the next book of Paul, the next letter of Paul in the New Testament, Philippians. Look at verse 3, Paul speaking to Philippian Christians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. And then flip a few more pages over to the next letter of Paul, In the New Testament, Colossians, speaking to the church at Colossae, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Or flip over to the next letter of Paul, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You're seeing a pattern. And you say, is Paul using hyperbole? Is he exaggerating to make a point? Is it just something he likes to say, I'm always praying for you? Or maybe even worse, is this flattery? Is Paul telling all of these churches, I'm praying for you, to make them feel special without actually praying for them? And I think we have good reason to say that Paul is being sincere, that he's, he's speaking truth in the Lord. That his pattern in prayer was filled with specific thanksgiving for many churches within his sphere of influence as a church planter, as a pastor, as an apostle of Christ, that he was praying for believers constantly, giving thanks for them constantly. And for me, that pattern is kind of scary and frightening because I look at my own prayer life, and I pray for you as the the members and attenders of Hope Church, but I think about even other churches, or the consistency and the faithfulness in those prayers, even for this church, and I wonder if I could send a letter to a church and say, I always give thanks for you in my prayers. And then say it to this church and say it about Faith Presbyterian up the street or Meadowcroft up the street or other churches in my presbytery or within our denomination or missionaries. Could I say that sincerely? I always give thanks for you in my prayers. And you could ask yourself that same question. What is your pattern of thanksgiving in your prayers for other believers? And I think that we all fall short. And the answer of that is not guilt and shame, but to commit ourselves to the picture we have here in Scripture. To say, I want to pray and give thanks for the believers in Hope Church. So maybe you grab the prayer guide that we try to put out from the uh, prayer gathering here. You pray through that. Uh, we It's been on my list for too long to revise our directory here at Hope Church, and I want to get that out. But if, whether you have that or you get that in the future, that's another place you can pray for those who are connected to Hope Church, giving thanks for them. But then I imagine you also have believers among your friend group, in your family, maybe a at work, maybe you know of missionaries, maybe you know of other churches. Maybe it's a church you attended in the past, and you know there are believers in that church. And so there's a challenge here in this text to get to the place of consistency in our prayers and in our Thanksgiving, where and with complete sincerity, we could write to a believer and say, "I always give thanks for you in my prayers." But notice, as you look at your Bible, what he was giving thanks for. Because you say, yes, there's this call to give thanks for believers in my prayers. But what motivates that? What am I looking at and saying, I'm giving thanks for this or for that in the believer? So look in your Bible at verse 15. He says, for this reason, because... I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. So, notice first that that Paul hears a report of their faith, their faith in the Lord Jesus. And he says, Because of this report of your faith in Christ, I'm giving thanks for you. But I think we often take the the faith of other believers for granted. We say, well, this is the church. Of course, there are people who have faith in Christ. That's what Christians do is trust in Jesus. But you'll remember what what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, or verse 8 rather. He says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so even the faith that you see within yourself, or the faith that you see in other believers in the church, or outside of this church, that is a gift of God. It's not something that that we well up within ourselves. It's not natural to us as fallen humanity. It is the gift of God. And it's not just a gift of God to the individual believer. Yes, when we put our trust, when we put our faith in Jesus, it is the gift of God to us. But then our faith is also a gift of God to others. And then their faith is a gift of God to us that's why the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Christians in Rome, in Romans chapter one, he said that I want to visit you and be with you that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, that he deeply wanted the, the mutual spiritual encouragement of the faith of the Roman Christians in his own life and also his faith for them. And I think that's part of what the author to the Hebrews is getting at in Hebrews chapter 10, where he says that we that we shouldn't neglect the gathering of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but that we should we should meet together to to stir one another up to love and to good works. And that's what we're doing together as the church: mutual encouragement of faith, stirring one another up to, to love and good works. And so when you see faith in yourself, give thanks to God. When you see faith in a friend or a family member, don't forget thanksgiving. It is the gift of God to them, to you, to the church, something that we should marvel at, something that should amaze us, to to cause us to fall on our knees before a great and holy God. So that's the first Reason he was giving thanks, or that, well, you could say it's what he's giving thanks for. He's giving thanks for the faith that he saw in them. But then he says that he also heard of their love toward all the saints. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love toward all the saints. And that's a beautiful summary of the Christian walk. That is the picture of a true, sincere Christian. It's faith in Christ, love toward others, faith and love together. That faith, as theologians say, is the instrumental cause of our salvation, that we're saved by Christ, not by faith, but that faith unites us to Christ. That, and when we're in union with Christ our sin is counted to him. His righteousness is counted to us. We receive adoption, that it, it, it ties us, it binds us to Christ. And that's why we say that we are justified. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But then what is the great evidence of saving faith? That if, if you have faith, it is a faith that works. We're not saved by works, but as Luther said, we're, faith, we're saved by a faith that works, a, a faith that expresses itself in love. And that's what, what Paul describes in Galatians chapter five verse six. He says, "For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love." That true, sincere, saving faith bears fruit. It bears the fruit of love. Where there is no love, there is no sincere, true faith. That you could say that faith is the, the root, and that love is the, the fruit flowing out of that root. And so when Paul looks at these Christians, he says, I see your love. And because I see that love, I hear reports of that love, I give thanks to God for you. And just as I said that we take for granted the the faith of other believers, I think we can take for granted the, the love of other believers. We say, well, that's just the default. They're Christians, of course they should be loving. This is, they're doing nothing more than their duty in the Christian life How can we give thanks for that? But we know from scripture that just as the faith is a gift of God, the love that we experience within the church, within the Christian community, is a gift of God. That it's ultimately not coming from the believers. That the love you experience from other believers in the church is is flowing out of the grace of God in their life. That in a way, it's the, the love of God through the believers flowing to you. And so when you you look at that love, you you don't worship or celebrate the person who is loving ultimately, but you say that is the grace of God in their life. And and thank you, Lord, that I get to be the beneficiary of this sincere love within the church, that I can be built up, I can be strengthened through the love of God among his people. People it should drive us to our knees in thanksgiving. So that's our, our first heading then today, that we should offer prayers of thanksgiving for believers. Then here's the, the second heading. We should also offer prayers of intercession for believers. Intercession is often more of a, a churchy word, but it's, it's a form of praying, interceding for other believers, praying for them. And that's what you see Paul describing for the rest of this chapter. He's, he didn't give us his prayer directly, but he's essentially summarizing his prayer for the encouragement of the Christians in Ephesus. And so look at what he says in verse 16 again. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So look at verse 17 again he says i'm praying for you praying that so that that's the hint here's the content of my prayers this is how i've been praying for you and he says that the god of our lord jesus christ it's similar to the lord's prayer that that jesus when he teaches us to pray says pray to the father our father who art in heaven and here Paul follows that pattern. He addresses God, his father, but then he calls him God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the Old Testament, God was often spoken of as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, the God of Israel. But then here he's the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but as new Testament believers, preeminently, God our Father becomes the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this isn't saying that somehow Jesus is less than God. But this is speaking of Jesus in his true humanity. He's truly God, truly man. But according to his true humanity, God was his God. God was his Father. So he says, the God of of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, the Father of glory. Now, you remember again, the pattern of Jesus in the Lord's prayer, that when he says, this is how you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That prayer begins with this acknowledgement of who God is, with this adoration of God as God. And that's what Paul's doing here as well, that he's saying, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who is God? He is the Father of glory. That He is the, the glorious Father, His His infinite glory displayed. That, that as He's praying for the Ephesian Christians, He's completely focused on who God is, what God has done. And then what does he pray? He prays that, that the, the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. The knowledge of Him. And you say, well, wait a second. He said back in verse 13 and 14 that the believers have the Holy Spirit as the guarantee in their hearts, that they know God. Because He already said that they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they have love toward all the saints. So don't they already know God? Don't they already have the Holy Spirit within their hearts? But what He says is that. It's that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And so he's saying, yes, you have the spirit, but I want you to have more of the spirit. Yes, you have knowledge, but I want you to have more knowledge. That yes, you have spiritual enlightenment by the Holy Spirit, giving you eyes to see Christ, but I want you to have more. I want you to have a a deeper understanding of Christ. And it reminds me of the great pastor-theologian, Jonathan Edwards, Uh, and I've mentioned this in preaching before, but I love his book on Christian knowledge. That When he talks about Christian knowledge, he says that we we have a certain knowledge of God to come to faith, that we, we know God, came to know God. Sometimes scripture even uses that as a description of what it is to be a Christian, to know the Lord. But then throughout our life, as we study scripture, we're constantly deepening and enriching our knowledge and understanding and wisdom from the word. Because God is infinite, if we study scripture our entire lifetime, we've only dipped our toe into the infinite ocean of the knowledge of God. And that eternally we can go deeper and deeper and deeper into the knowledge of God. And as we go deeper into the knowledge of God, it only becomes sweeter. It only becomes more beautiful. It only becomes more glorious. And that's what Paul is desiring for these Christians, to know God more, to deepen their wisdom, to deepen their insight. But look again at at verse 18. So he's been praying that the Lord would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that you may know. And then he lists three truths he wants them to know in a more deep and full way. So, first, he wants them to know what is the hope to which He has called you, second, what are the riches. Of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and third, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, before I walk through those individually, I I just want you to notice something. Notice what Paul isn't praying for in this text. There are so many things he could have prayed for. He isn't praying for upcoming surgery that they have, though it's not wrong to pray for that. He's not praying for physical health for the Ephesians, even though it's not wrong to pray for that. He's not praying that they'll do well at their job interview and do well moving up in their career and at work. it's not wrong to pray for that. He's not even praying for the church to grow. He's not saying, Ephesian Christians, I'm praying that you add many new members to your church and that your budget grows and that you become a self-sustaining church plant. Though it's not wrong to pray for that. But what is he praying for? That that he's he's praying for them to, to deepen their love and their knowledge of God. So look at the first aspect of this prayer. He says, I I want you to, to know first, what is the hope to which he has called you? He's praying for hope in Christ for these believers. And Just think about it, that we have hope as believers, but our confidence in the hope of God can be weak. It can be weakened by, by physical sickness, by suffering in this life. It can be weakened by persecution, by pain, by loss, by betrayal. And, the, and there's nothing more tragic than the loss of hope in a believer. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. And that's how you can pray for yourself. Lord, let me more deeply, more fully know and trust the hope that is mine in Christ. Pray that for me as the pastor of Hope Church. If you're ever wondering how can I pray for will during the week, pull out Ephesians chapter 1 and pray these verses for me that you can pray that I'll have a deeper, richer hope in the promises of God. Pray this for other believers in the church. Pray this for your For your family. And the fact that he's praying for more hope shows that their hope was not yet strong enough. That they had hope, but it wasn't deep enough. It wasn't, it could always be more solidified and more whole. And that's what we're praying for. So that's first. But then, second, he was praying that they might know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. But somehow, we don't know our inheritance well enough. We don't think enough about our inheritance. We don't meditate on our inheritance enough. For remember what we said last week. What is the inheritance that we have? Look at verse 14. He says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory that the ultimate inheritance for the believer is God himself. Relationship with God that we will have with him forever. But we have the, the down payment of that in the Holy Spirit. And that's why he says he wants them to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That the inheritance of God is already within you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That that spirit within you is the inheritance in your heart. And so Paul's saying, I want you to know more of this inheritance, to know more the spirit that is within you, that the spirit that is within you is greater than the spirit that is within the world. So pray this for yourself, pray this for your friends, pray this for your family, that you could meditate on your inheritance more. And no, it's not the inheritance of the ideal job in this life or ideal health or success or the ideal relationship. That's not the inheritance promise. It is the inheritance of God himself guaranteed by His Spirit. But then third and finally, you'll see that he prays that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And his his power, it cannot be measured because he is an infinite God. It's it's a great power. It's the greatness of his power. And it's not just the the general power of God in the creation of the world, but it's it's the power toward us who believe. That there is this unique power of God brought to bear toward the believer. Uh, What he calls in Romans 1, the power of God for salvation to everyone. Who believes. And it's the power that comes to us in the gospel. And so we're, we're praying for more of this experience of God's power. And we come to know this power when we first see how powerless we are by nature. That we are weak. We are frail. Our knowledge is limited. Uh, we are anything but, what, what does he say, uh, that the inheritance, the power the immeasurable greatness of his power. We are measurable. <laughs> we are not infinite. Uh, and then the, the riches of his glorious inheritance, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, that we are not great by, by nature. But yet, when we see how powerless we are, and we put our trust in Christ through the power of the gospel, that we experience the power of Jesus for us. And Look at how Paul describes this power And we'll we'll unpack this more next week, but he says that, that you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And you say, well, how is this mighty power of God expressed? Well, it's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power, dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. It's the power that he had when he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what you can pray for. Pray for resurrection, ascended power of Christ, gifted to the church so that we can live in a a dark, hard world where there is so much pain, there is so much loss, there is so much suffering, but yet we know there is the power of God at work. And so my final exhortation to you, if, if there's one application that you can take away today, is remember Ephesians 1. That Note in your mind, in your understanding, this, this chapter, the second half of Ephesians 1, And when you're seeking to pray for other believers and you feel like you're you're struggling in your language, struggling what to pray, turn here and let the word of God fill your prayers, pray scripture back, filling it all up to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the faith and the love that are so clearly displayed in Hope Church. And Lord, I pray you would forgive me for often failing to thank you for the faith that I see in this church. For I'm sorry that I fail to thank you for the love that I see in this church. And Lord, we, we pray that, that as we think about our, our lives, as we think about believers in our life, um, that we could know the riches of your inheritance, that we can know our hope that we can know the greatness of your power toward us. We pray for the enlightenment of our hearts, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And Lord, especially as we do grieve Roseanne and her passing going to be with you, Lord, we, we pray that we would not lose sight of our inheritance, of our hope, of the strength that we have in Christ and Lord, we, we pray that we can dedicate ourselves anew, afresh to prayer, not as a legalistic action that we have to check off of our list, but I pray that prayer would be the very lifeblood of our walk with you, that it would be spiritual food in life. And, and when we pray, give us the, the diligence to always pray for believers, to always give thanks for believers. And all our prayers, making our prayers with thanksgiving. So we pray in Jesus' name.